If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me very quickly to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. For the next few moments of time, I want to preach on the subject of come alive. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, shake yourself and come alive. Look at your other neighbor on the other side and say, neighbor, it's time for you to come alive. Amen. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. When you have it, say amen. The word of the Lord says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, that's pretty straightforward, right? That's kind of a, a rebuke, a slap in the face, if you will, that, that Christ is giving to this particular church, the church of Sardis. He said, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. You see, this particular church, the church of Sardis, had a reputation that they were alive. But in all reality... They were actually dead. In other words, their reality did not mirror their reputation. How many knows what I'm talking about? Automatically, you begin to think of individuals or organizations or even ministries and churches. Their reality does not mirror their reputation. See, it's one thing to have a good reputation, but it's a whole other thing to have good character. See, nobody's saying nothing in this house. It's one thing to have a good reputation, but it's a whole other thing that your reputation is, in fact, your reality. But this particular church in Revelation chapter 3, John has penned this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is bringing a letter of rebuke to the church of Sardis. And he's letting them know, in fact, that, you know, th this church probably was the go-to church. Everybody wanted to be a part of this church. They probably had a fine pastor with, with a doctorate and a Ph.D. behind his name. They probably had tremendous worship. I mean, this was the place where you wanted to go. They probably had a dynamic kids' ministries and an overflowing youth ministry. And they had a reputation in the community that this was where it was at. This was the happening church. This was the cool church. This was a church that was alive. But Jesus said, you are dead. 
See, our programs are good. Our productions are good. You know, our ministries are good. But do we have the life of the Holy Spirit flowing through our ministry? Because you see, I learned a long time ago, and I'm going to remind you today that it's not by might, nor by power. It's not by a program. It's not by an outreach. It's not by a ministry. It's not by any of these things, but it is still true, and it has tested all of time that it is only by the Holy Spirit of God. Set free if we are going to be the church that God has ordained for us to be and called us to be, then it is only going to be through and by the person of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I thank God, Pastor, that the Holy Spirit is present in our services. Amen. I said, I thank God that the Holy Spirit is present. He is evident in our services every time we gather together. I don't know about you, but I sense the presence of God. I see the glory of God. And may we never take it for granted. May we never take it lightly. May we never disregard it. Because God can always take his hand off of us. He said, you have a reputation that you were alive. But in all reality, you're actually dead. You see, all across America, churches, unfortunately, are closing. Look at statistics for yourself. These are sad and alarming, sobering statistics. And some of the latest ones, as I Googled it this week, Statistics are showing us that between 6,000 and 10,000 churches in the U.S. alone are dying each year. Did you know that? Six to 10,000 churches every year only in the U.S. are dying. What does that mean when you do the math? That means that around one to 200 churches will close this very week. In the United States of America. How sad is that? How sad is that? What is the reasoning behind this? You see, the COVID pandemic of 2020 surely did not help matters. How many knows what I'm talking about? In many of our states, the church was not deemed as essential. And as a result, many were forced to shut down. And many of these churches have never opened back up but can I tell you today the devil is alive the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely essential I said it's essential I came to let somebody know today that the church was not man's idea it was and it still is God's idea it is not one of many options 
to help advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is his only option. How many here's what I'm saying today? I said it was not man's idea. The church is God's idea. The church is option A. It is option number one, and the Lord has no other options as far as advancing his gospel and his kingdom. I come out and let somebody know today that man did not start this movement. Man did not start the church and man cannot stop the church. Did you hear what I said today? I said man did not start the church and man cannot stop the church. The church that I am talking about was founded by Christ himself. It is Jesus who is the chief cornerstone of the church and he said out of his own mouth in Matthew chapter 16 that he has established this church upon the rock and that he is building his church. I don't know about you but that takes a lot of pressure off of me and our pastor today because I'm here to tell you it's never been our duty to build this church but Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's not a pandemic that can prevail against it. There's not a political party that can prevail against it. There's not a Pharisee that can prevail against it. There's not a demon in hell that can stop this move of God. I'm telling you what in this hour I see all across the land that God is beginning to breathe upon the dry bones of the church and he's breathing his spirit back into it and this is not a time for you to silence yourself but this is a time for you to rise up and to be the church that God has called us to be. Said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. What are some signs of a dying church? What are some signs of a dying church? You say, well, why are you preaching a message like this, Pastor? See, realize that when we get up here, we're not just speaking to you as a set-free family, but we're speaking as a prophetic voice to the church in large. Huh? What we say from this pulpit, it's not just for the four walls of this building, but it's to impact a region and a territory. And although we can testify today that by God's grace and his goodness that set free church is surely not a church that is dying let us pay attention to what is causing some of these other churches to die so that it doesn't begin to creep into our house you see I want us to do a simple autopsy if you will on some of these dying churches in the land today and let's discover what is the cause of this spiritual death. Is that all right? So that we will be aware and we will not allow that to happen in this place. So what are the signs of a dying church? I'm going to give you 13 and I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. Number one, the first sign of a dying church is simply a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. Show me your church's prayer room, and I will show you that church's future. Did you hear what I said? I said, show me your church's prayer room, and I will show you your church's 
future. You see, probably the, the room that we put the, the least emphasis on is the prayer room. Oftentimes, it is the prayer room that is overlooked, that is neglected, and it ought not to be so because Jesus said in the Gospels, he said that my Father's house shall be called what? A house of prayer. Do you understand today that nothing can happen in the earth without somebody interceding and somebody praying? Yes, I know God can do what he wants to, but let me tell you, it is still the prayers and the intercessions of God's people that moves the hand of God in the earth. My Bible still says in the book of James that it is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman that availeth much. Can I tell you little prayer means a little power much prayer means much power and if we are going to be the church that we need to be then it's only going to be when we grab back a hold of the horns of the altar now I don't know about you but we acknowledge a lot of ministers around here we acknowledge a lot of outreaches around here and rightfully so we give them all honor but this morning can we give God the praise for our set free prayer team and intercession team that meet every Sunday at 9:15 back here in one of these rooms and they pray heaven down they pray the glory down they pray the devil off of people I'm telling you what everything that we do everything that we say and everything that we accomplish is only by the prayers and the intercessions of God's people that's the first sign of a dying church is a lack of prayer number two the second sign of a dying church is when attendance begins to decrease you say, well, pastor, it's not about the numbers. I agree with you. It's not about the numbers. But can I tell you, every healthy thing, every healthy person, every healthy substance will grow. Did you hear what I said? If there is health, if there's vitality, it will grow. Numerically, it will grow spiritually. It will take roots in the ground. And so it is a sure sign when the people begin to dwindle and the people begin to dwindle that there is something that is it's not right in the church. Now, we may not grow on the same pace and the same magnitude as the mega church over on the other side of the town, but let me tell you something. We may not add a 1,000 this year, but we ought to be adding at least 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Look at what we added today to the glory of God. What am I telling you? That there is a problem when we are looking at the same people year in and year out. And you would be shocked to know, I know this as an evangelist and a revivalist you would be shocked to know how many churches that I have walked in and their mentality is they may not say it out of their mouth but their mentality is I don't care if this place grows or not because the truth is they're satisfied with my four and no more and they feel that new individuals and new families that are coming through the doors is a threat to their power huh it's a threat to their power. Somebody's going to take my seat. Somebody's going to take my position. Well, you know what? Bless God. Let somebody take my seat. I sit up here on the floor. Let somebody take some load off of me. I pray that God send them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We don't have a church where it's my four and no more. We're making room. We're making expansion for the harvest that God is sending to us. The third sign of a dying church. People aren't being born again. 
people aren't being saved. Let me tell you, there are churches. This is a sad indictment. There are churches where literally they'll go all year long and they can't tell you one person that got born again. How sad and sobering is that? That's a sure sign of death and decay. What about this one? Somebody hold on now. Tithes and offerings are on a decline. You say, there you go, preacher. You're always talking about money. Let me tell you, a healthy church will not have to struggle. Did you hear what I said? A healthy church doesn't live in the red month after month after month because a healthy church is raising up givers, cheerful, sacrificial givers that believe in the vision and the mission of the church and they give freely unto the kingdom of God. What about this one? Number five, the fifth sign of a dying church is a lack of the younger generation. A lack of the younger generation. There's a problem. I appreciate the saints of God. I appreciate the silver-headed saints of God. I appreciate the older generation and what they have to offer to us. I appreciate their years of wisdom and expertise and, 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 and the sacrifices that they have made for this young generation. But can I tell you there is a sure problem when if we look out across the congregation and all we see are the senior saints of God. That is a sure sign that death is knocking on the door. Can I tell you what? We ought to be discipling and raising up a younger generation. And can I tell you this younger generation is not going to look like anything that you ever thought it was going to look like. And that's okay. They're going to come in with ripped jeans. They're going to come in with hoodies. They're going to come in with earrings in their ears. They might come in with a baseball hat on. Don't you dare say anything to them. You love them with the love of God. You pray over them. You you intercede to them and you pass down the mantle to this generation. Well, Pastor, I just don't like the way they look. Well, you know what? I don't like the way you look. But it's all right. Because God said, I don't look on the outward appearance. I look into the deep recesses of the heart of man. Jesus. What about this one? The sixth sign of a dying church is their refusal to reach out. Ever been in a church like that? All they're concerned about is what happens in the four walls of a church. There's no outreach. There's no fulfilling the Great Commission. There's no reaching the nations. There's no reaching the community. All they do is harbor all of their resources and their giftings within the four walls of a building. That is a sure sign that decay has begun. Can I tell you, God didn't call us to sit and to sour in the four walls of this building. I thank God for this place. I look forward to every opportunity that we have to gather in this place. But God did not call us to sit here and to soak and to sour. But this is a filling station. This is a place where we come and we get filled up till we overflow. And then we take it out into the highways and the byways. And we tell them about our good God, about our good holy. Ghost, and we tell them that there's hope for you. There's hope for you. It's a refusal to reach out. That's a sure sign of death. What about this one? The seventh sign of a dying church is change is resisted. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can I tell you, I'll be the first to admit change is uncomfortable. I'm not always 
you know, the most happy-go-lucky when it comes to certain types of change. But can I tell you that change is absolutely necessary? There's nothing worse than walking up into a church and they're about 40, 50 years stuck back in time. Huh? Now, I know there's some churches, you know, they can't always afford to modernize things. I'm not bashing them, but there's a problem when you walk into the church and it looks like you walk back into the 1960s. Because, not because they can't afford something, it's because they refuse to change and they put God in a, in a box of some certain decade or some certain ideology where God only moves this way and God only does this. Let me tell you, we never compromise this gospel. We preach this gospel just as it is we do not water down the word but we must from time to time change our methods if we want to reach a certain type of fish can somebody say amen a refusal to change change is resisted what about this one a sure sign of death in the church number eight is that that church is preference driven do you hear what I said do you understand what I'm saying is preference driven. What do I mean when I say that? Well, you know, Pastor, I think we ought to do it like this. And this is my pet peeve. And, you know, this is my style of music. And this is my style of preaching. And this is my style of teaching. And, you know, this is the volume that I want it at. Oh, my God. Huh? Huh? When we put our preferences above the presence of God, this might be my last Sunday. When we put our preferences above the presence of God, let me tell you, if you come into this house and you look for a problem, you're going to find a problem. But the problem is, is when you find that problem, how are you going to process that problem? And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing the murmuring and the complaining. Well, I don't like this. I don't like that. Let me tell you, this is not a church that we vote on what you like or don't like. We just have to the presence of God. We just have to the glory of God. If he don't show up, it don't matter a hill of beans about what we do or how we do it. I'm telling you what, we will not be a preference-driven church. Because that's a sure sign that death is at the door. I've seen churches tore up over the color of carpets. You laugh, but it's the truth. I've seen churches tore up over whether we're going to have a smoke machine or not a smoke machine. I don't give a flip about any of it. But I'm telling you what, I'm not going to get mad and pouty and, oh, well, they don't do this and they don't do that. Let me tell you, if you'd get drunk in the Holy Ghost, you'd forget about what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. I'm telling you what, I wish somebody would get a drink of the new wine that's coming down from heaven. My God, I wish that those cameras would tune in on some of your faces so you could see what we have to see every time we get up here. Preference-driven. What about this one, number nine, the ninth sign of a dying church? Innovation is rare. What do I mean by that? There's no creativity. Can I tell you one of the most dangerous phrases that we can ever utter out of our mouth? The one of the most dangerous phrases that can ever be said in a body like this? Well, we've always done it this way. 
<laughs> We've always done it this way. And if it's not broke, that right there is one of the most dangerous phrases that could ever come out of your mouth. Because let me tell you, my Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit of creativity. And let me tell you, the prophet Isaiah said it best. He said, behold, God is doing what? A new thing. Shall you not know it? In other words, if you're not careful, you will miss this next move of God because you refuse to be creative and innovative. I'm telling you what, I release an anointing across this body of believers today, an anointing of innovation, an anointing of creativity. God right now is birthing dreams and visions and anointings. It's going to blow your mind at what God's about to do in you and through you so stop saying well we've always done it this way and this is the way we're going to do it let me tell you what the devil is a lie and if that's your attitude you might as well go ahead and get off this train because let me tell you what I see coming in the next days and weeks and months God's about to do a whole lot of brand new things that's going to blow our mind but eyes have not seen our ears heard what our God has prepared for them that love him called according to his purpose innovation is rare what about this one number 10 the 10th sign of a dying church this is a big one right here the presence and the glory of God is missing I've been in a lot of churches like that well you might as well put Ichabod over the front doors because they were so preference driven and not presence driven God's nowhere to be found in the assembly and the gathering of the saints of God. Let me tell you, that's a scary place to be in. That's a dead church. It's not an almost dying church. It's a dead church. What about this one? There's a lack of power. There's a lack of power. When you go up into a place and there's no power... That's setting the captives free. There's no power that's drawing the lost to salvation. There's no power that's restoring broken marriages and broken relationships. There's no power that's sobering the alcoholic. There's no power that's bringing deliverance to those who are, uh, uh, have drug possession. There's no power that's bringing deliverance to the homosexual or the lesbian. There's no power that's softening the heart of the Pharisees. Let me tell you, that is a sure sign that the church is dying. You see, we're pretty all over North America. Our congregations, we're pretty, but we lack the power of God. And that's why uh, in 2 Timothy, it tells us that one of the sure signs that lets you and I know that we are living in the last days. You hear me say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. That his people would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. If there's ever been a fulfillment of Scripture, it is that right there. His people in this day, in this hour, a lot of them, they have a form. They look pretty. They look the part, but they're void. They're bankrupt of the power of God. We can't even heal a headache, much less heal cancer or diabetes or anything else. Let me tell you, I believe that we're getting back to the manifestation and the demonstration of the power of Almighty God. I believe that people not even going to have to come down and have somebody lay hands on them. But the moment they drive by this facility, God breaks something off of them. God heals something. God delivers something. That's my faith. But notice what it said. 
They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power. Well, we don't want to offend our tithe payers. We don't want to upset somebody's apple cart. Come on. We don't want to lick the red off somebody's candy. Anybody ever heard these sayings? I grew up with them. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. We don't put the Holy Spirit on a leash in the back closet because we, we're trying to grow this, this, uh, this community church where everybody just this and that and everything else. Let me tell you, I wish we would take the restraints off the Holy Ghost. I wish we'd let him be who he wants to be in the church. How many knows it's the Holy Ghost who is the CEO of the church? I'm telling you a sure sign that the church is dying is when it's absent and void of the power of God. And what did he go on and he said, he said, from such, turn away. Can I help somebody? What camera's on me right now? Somebody help me. Which one is it? This one right here. Let me help somebody. I believe by the Holy Spirit's watching the live stream today. And you struggling, and you seeing the life that's in this church, and you seeing what God's doing, and you're 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 almost an envy, saying, "I wish I could be a part of a church like this." Now, let me tell you, I'm not interested in swapping fish from one pond to the next pond, but at the same time, I'm not interested in you being stuck in some dead church just because Mama goes there and Grandma goes there. My Bible says, "From such, turn away." I'm releasing somebody. If your church is dead and they don't have no desire to come alive again then you don't got time to stay there now's a time for you to go to where the holy ghost has freedom and liberty to move you say pastor i just can't leave what will my family think i just can't i can't jump ship i can't do this i'm not encouraging church hopping if you in a good church, stay there, be rooted, be planted. But if that church is dead and they refuse to change, now's the time for you to get out before it kills you and your family. From such turn away. I know we're going to get a lot of emails where you're trying to steal our members. If you feed them something, they wouldn't leave. If you let the Holy Ghost be the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't leave. From such turn away. It's a lack of power. What about this one? The gospel's watered down. We're too interested in being politically correct and not Bible correct. Well, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to upset people. Let me tell you, the gospel is a two-edged sword. It'll cut you and it'll heal you. Let me tell you, if you read this Bible as what it's meant to be, it will bring offense to your life. It offends me every day. But you know what? Offense is good because it's causing my flesh to die and my spirit to soar. What about this one? Church services are always predictable. That's a sure sign the church is dying. If you can come in here and you can tell us every step we're going to take, every move we're going to make, then you know what? Death's at the door. We ought to get back to a place and a time to where we don't know what's about to happen. We just know the glory of God's about to hit this place. I hear, I hear it now. Well, we got to do everything decently and in order. I know we do. But let me tell you, we can have so much structure and so much order that God's nowhere to be found. Church services are predictable. Let me submit this. Listen to me. If you don't hear nothing else, hear this. One of the greatest alliances of hell. Some of you think you know what I'm going to say. 
one of the greatest alliances of hell. It's not a certain political party or movement. It's not liberal policies and agendas. See, that's where some of y'all are going. But let me submit this to you. One of the greatest alliances of hell is a dead church. Did you hear what I said? I said one of the greatest alliances of hell is a dead church. You see, the devil will do everything within his ability to keep you and I from getting connected to a church body that is alive. Did you hear what I said? He could care less if you're a part of a church that's dead. That does not mean anything to him. That's not a threat to hell. He hopes you stay there until you die too. But the moment that you get plugged in and you get connected to a local body of believers that are alive by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you become a direct threat to hell itself. Because if you stay connected to something that is alive, something that is anointed, something that is set ablaze by the fire of God, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to become alive. You're going to become anointed. You're going to become set ablaze by the fire of the Holy Ghost. If you stay on the banks of the river long enough, how many knows you're going to fall right in? If you stay around a blazing inferno long enough, how many knows you're going to get burnt? Come on, if you stay around set free church long enough, you're going to become one of those tongue-talking, devil-slaying, blood-washed children of God because that's who we are and we're not ashamed of it. Glory to God. You see, there's nothing worse than walking up into a church where the worship is dead. Where the preaching is dead. And where even the ushers and the greeters look like they should be morticians in a local funeral home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Unfortunately, I've walked into some of those before. And I was like, Lord, get me out of here. But how many is thankful that we have a place? That, let me tell you, we're not gloating in who we are. We're gloating in who he is. How many is thankful we got a, a, a praise team and a worship team that's alive, that's set ablaze by the power of God? Come on. How many is thankful we have some anointed men and women that deliver to us every week the unadulterated word of God? How many is thankful that we have minister teams in this church that's anointed by the Spirit of God from the time you walk through the front doors of the church? Glory to God. We give him praise today. You better give him praise. You see, if church is boring and dead, we're doing it wrong. Huh? If you come into this place and you don't get anything out of it, and you leave with a sour, bitter taste in your mouth, that you'd rather be anywhere than here, we're doing something wrong. Every time we gather in this place, we ought to leave the doors of this sanctuary saying, my God, what just happened in there? Come on, my Lord, what just happened in there? That's the kind of God that I serve. He's a great God. He's an exciting God. There is no shadow of turning within him. Let me tell you, and if he's a great God, we ought to be having great church services. How many knows what I'm saying?
If not, we're doing it wrong. Let me submit this to you. I don't want anything. I'm talking about come alive today. Going from death to life. I don't want anything. This is, this is me speaking. I don't want anything dead attached to me. At 38 years of age, I don't have time to play games no more. I don't have time to play church no more. I'm not trying to climb some political ladder in the kingdom of God, seeing how much power I can get and how much things, accolades and men's applause I get. I could care less. I'm stating before you today as God is my witness, I don't want anything dead attached to me any longer. If it's a dead relationship, if it's a dead church service, if whatever it might be, I don't want it attached to me any longer. Because you know what the truth is? If you allow dead things to stay attached to you, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Let me give you a little bit of history. Do you realize that back in biblical times, under the Roman influence of the Roman Empire, not only was crucifixion a popular means of death, just as our lovely Christ died on the cross of Calvary, but another popular way, another death sentence, if you will, for, for those who were convicted of murder. Do you know what they would do to murderers oftentimes under the Roman Empire? They would take the person that was killed, that was murdered, and they would shackle it to the murderer. Did you know that? Study it for yourself. Under the Roman Empire, not only would they crucify criminals and they would die slow, agonizing death on the cross, but oftentimes if an individual was guilty of murder, taking someone's innocent life, they would take that dead corpse, the one who had been murdered, and they would tie it, they would shackle it to the murderer. So everywhere the murderer went in the town, they would see the dead body, the one that they killed, the one whose innocent blood was shed. They would see the murderer and the dead corpse attached to them. Because how many knows that over a period of time, as that dead corpse began to decay, the contaminants, the pollutants, that rotting flesh and the bacteria, the stench, all of a sudden it would begin to intertwine within the flesh of the murderer to the point that it killed the murderer. That was the death sentence. Can I tell you, let me re rewind and resubmit what I just said a while ago. I don't have time for dead things to be attached to me dead churches dead ministries dead services dead ministers dead pastors dead apostles dead prophets dead teachers I don't have time dead worship dead praise I don't have time you stay in it if you want to stay in it but I don't have time to allow dead things to stay attached to me why because sooner or later it's going to kill me talking about come alive come alive in closing let's look at this turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 this is where we're going to land a plane Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 the apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus 
under the inspiration, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he said this. And you, somebody say he's talking about you. And you, he made alive. You, he made you alive. Who were once dead in trespasses and sins. Do you realize that whole time before you came to met Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Before you surrendered your all and all that, all that time that you were sowing your wild oats, all that time you thought you was living the party scene, you was clubbing, you was, you was partying, you was drinking, you was committing fornication, all these things that you did before you met Christ and you thought you was just living it up. Do you realize in all actuality you were dead? The Bible says that. You were a dead man or woman walking. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in what? The lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But look at this. But God. How many is thankful for a but God? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Do I have anybody in here that can go down memory lane and remember where you were before you had a head on? collision with the son of God can you remember when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins but all of a sudden you heard about this man who could give you joy who could give you peace who could give you reconciliation and you surrendered your all in all and all of a sudden you knew what living was all about why because the Holy Ghost made you alive in Christ Jesus I don't know about you, but I'm alive today. I said I'm alive today. I know I get on some of your nerves, but that's all right because I'm alive today. I said I'm alive today. Don't you stop for my praise. Don't you stop for my worship. Don't you stop for the way that I preach and I teach the Word of God because, honey, you didn't give this life to me. Jesus gave it to me, and you can't take this life away from me. Hallelujah. I wish somebody open up your mouth and give God the praise that's due unto his name today. Hallelujah. Look at this. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. Look at this. Made us alive. He made us alive. The Greek word, listen, the Greek word for life right here in Ephesians chapter 2 is this, Zoe. Somebody say Zoe. That's the Greek word for life. This is the same word, listen to this, that we get our English word zoo from. Anybody ever been to a zoo? Can I tell you there's no death in a zoo? What's in a zoo? You see life. 
of all shapes and sizes, all forms. You might see elephants, giraffes, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. You might see even those little blue-hided monkeys. I don't know. But there's no death. There's life. There's, there's movement. There's action. Can I tell you, that's what God is saying to us when he said, I made you alive. There ought to be movement. There ought to be kingdom action. Come on, somebody. Nothing makes me more nervous than to get around a bunch of preachers over a lunch table, and they're about as dead as a doornail. All they do is murmur and complain about their churches and their congregations and their ministry. Let me tell you, I don't want to be around none of that stuff. Give me around somebody that's full of the Holy Ghost, that's full of the fire of God. You say, well, do they have to be that way? Do they have to shout like that? Do they have to worship like that? You leave them alone. You stop trying to stifle the fire of God. And why don't you get a little dose of the same fire in your life? He made us alive. We ought to be like a zoo. We ought to be full of action. We ought to be full of movement. I, I'm here to tell you, say, well, what about that wildfire? I'm not worried about wildfire. I'd rather have wildfire than no fire any day. Give me the fire of God. I'll let God separate the goats from the sheep and the tear from the wheat. I ain't worried about that. It means zoo. Our English word zoo. Movement, life, action. So when he said made us alive in the Greek, it means that we have been made one. Somebody say made one with Christ. And we've been infused with the very life of God. I said we've been a few. That's what he's saying when he said I made you alive. You've been made one with God. And you've been infused with the very life of God himself. That's what it means when he said, you have been made alive. You see, we have the very resurrection life of God on the inside of us. If you would ever get that revelation of what is on the inside of you is greater than anything that is going on in the world today. That's greater than any gross darkness in our culture and in our society. That's greater than any corrupt political party what is on the inside of you is greater it is the very resurrection power of God that is on the inside of you that's why I can't help but praise that's why I can't help but worship that's why I can't help but sing that's why I can't help but shout that's why I can't help but dance oh let me tell you the Bible still says go ahead if you don't want to praise them, the rocks are going to cry out on your behalf but I don't know about you I'm not going to let no rock no mountain cry out on my behalf because he's done done too much for me I cannot tell it all he's taken my sins away glory to God he's made us alive in him you see God specializes in bringing dead things back to life that's what he does that's who he is remember the dry bones in Ezekiel remember his friend Lazarus remember the very resurrection of Jesus on the third day he got up again I said my God specializes in bringing dead things back to life the thief says I come to kill I come to steal I come to destroy don't you know he'd love to kill set free church but I come to let somebody know today that Jesus followed the devil up and he said I I come to give life and that more abundantly. I 
refuse to live in a mundane way, waiting to experience the glory of the sweet by and by. I want my slice of pie right here and right now. Anybody feel the way I feel? I ain't waiting till I get there. I want it now. Guess what? You can have it. Y'all said you can have it. You see, Revelation closed with this. He said, you have a reputation, you're alive, but in all reality, you're dead. But he said, here's the secret. If you want to come back to life, this is the solution to the deadness in your life, to the deadness in your relationship, to the deadness in your ministry, to the deadness in your church. This is the solution. He said, wake up. Somebody looks at your neighbor and say, wake up. We've slumbered and we slept for long enough. He said, wake up. And what did he go on to say? He said, and strengthen that which remains. Not a whole lot remains, but what remains, you've got to strengthen. And what is he saying? The fire hasn't completely went out. It's time for you to rekindle, rekindle the fire, fan the flame back into a, a, a fiery inferno. Strengthen what remains, rekindle the fire that is left, and remember, or go back to, or what about this one? Resets. How many knows this is still the year of the reset? We're getting back to glory. That's what he's saying. Remember what you have received. Go back to the basics. Reset back to glory. And then he said, repent. Repent. Repent has such a negative connotation to it. But let me tell you, repent is one of the best words that you'll ever hear. Because when you hear the word repent, yes, it means you hadn't quite did it right. But it also means that you've been extended another opportunity to get it right. You've been extended a glorious invitation to come. To come back to me with your mess. To come back to me with all your dead situations. To come back to me and to receive life again. That's what he told the church. He said, repent. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. I prophesy today the word of the Lord over your life, over your home, over your family, over your marriage, over your children, your grandchildren, your ministry, over this church over the leadership of this church, over this body of believers, I prophesy the word of the Lord that you shall not die. I know the devil says it's over with. You done messed up too many times. He's done dug your hole six feet deep and he's ready to throw you in it and to put the dirt back on you because he said it's over with. But can I tell you, our God has the final say. Did you hear what I said? I said our God has the final say. And I come out and remind you it's not over till God says it's over. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it smells like. I don't care what it feels like. Maybe you are smelling the very stench of decay and death. But I come by to tell you just as the Holy Ghost walked into that bar or two in the city of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago and he breathed the breath of life back into the lungs of Christ. I see the Holy Ghost walking up and down the aisles of this church and he's breathing on you life and life more abundantly. You shall not die but you shall live. Somebody say it over yourself. I'm going to live. I'm not going to die 
but I'm going to live and I'm going to declare the works of the Lord.